Chapter 60 of White Jacket, or The World in a Man of War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. White Jacket, or The World in a Man of War, by Herman Melville. Chapter 60. A Man of War's Man Shot At. There was a seaman belonging to the foretop, a messmate, though not a topmate of mine, and no favorite of the captain's, who, for certain venial transgressions, had been prohibited from going ashore on liberty when the ship's company went. Enraged at the deprivation, for he had not touched earth in upward of a year, he, some nights after, lowered himself overboard with the view of gaining a canoe attached by a rope to a Dutch galliot some cable's lengths distant. In this canoe he proposed paddling himself ashore. Not being a very expert swimmer, the commotion he made in the water attracted the ear of the sentry on that side of the ship, who, turning about in his walk, perceived the faint white spot where the fugitive was swimming in the frigate's shadow. He hailed it, but no reply. Give the word or I fire. Not a word was heard. The next instant there was a red flash, and, before it had completely ceased illuminating the night, the white spot was changed into crimson. Some of the officers returning from a party at the beach of the Flamingos happened to be drawing near the ship in one of her cutters. They saw the flash and the bounding body it revealed. In a moment, the topman was dragged into the boat, a handkerchief was used for a tourniquet, and the wounded fugitive was soon on board the frigate. When the surgeon, being called, the necessary attentions were rendered. Now, it appeared that at the moment the sentry fired, the topman, in order to elude discovery, by manifesting the completest quietude, was floating on the water, straight and horizontal, as if reposing on a bed. As he was not far from the ship at the time, and the sentry was considerably elevated above him, pacing his platform on a level with the upper part of the hammock nettings, the ball struck with great force, with a downward obliquity, entering the right thigh just above the knee, and, penetrating some inches, glanced upward along the bone, burying itself somewhere, so that it could not be felt by outward manipulation. There was no dusky discoloration to mark its internal track, as in the case when a partly spent ball, obliquely hitting after entering the skin, courses on just beneath the surface without penetrating further. Nor was there any mark on the opposite part of the thigh to denote its place as when a ball forces itself straight through a limb and lodges, perhaps, close to the skin on the other side. Nothing was visible but a small, ragged puncture, bluish about the edges, as if the rough point of a tenpenny nail had been forced into the flesh and withdrawn. It seemed almost impossible that through so small an aperture a musket bullet could have penetrated. The extreme misery and general prostration of the man caused by the great effusion of blood, though strange to say at first he said he felt no pain from the wound itself, induced the surgeon, very reluctantly, to forego an immediate search for the ball to extract it, 
as that would have involved the dilating of the wound by the knife, an operation which at that juncture would have been almost certainly attended with fatal results. A day or two, therefore, was permitted to pass while simple dressings were applied. The surgeon of the other American ships of war in harbor occasionally visited the Never Sink to examine the patient and, incidentally, to listen to the expositions of our own surgeon, their senior in rank. But Cadwallader Cuticle, who as yet has been but incidentally alluded to, now deserves a chapter by himself. End of chapter 60 Recording by James K. White Chula Vista